what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Exchange on The Mesh Podcast Network, a monthly conversation about startups, small business, with ideas, tools, and advice to operate your business more effectively. On today's show, you're an entrepreneur, you've got a product idea, how do you launch it? Can you make money with it? Our guest today is John Yavari with the North Carolina Small Business and Technology Development Center. He's going to give us some pointers on successfully launching your product. We'll also have our Small Business of the Month feature, where we'll recommend some interesting businesses that you should be checking out. Greetings. My name is Jeff Newville. I'm your co-host. I'm director of the Manufacturing Solutions Center in Conover, North Carolina. I'm joined by my co-host, Gary Muller, who who is Executive Dean of Economic Development and Corporate Education at Catawba Valley Community College in Hickory, North Carolina. Gary, how's it going today? Jeff, it's going great. And great job on the title. And we've been working on that for a while. We got it under control. Very uh, excited. We came back from our state conference in USA, And our students uh, did a great job again. So uh, very, very excited about that. Things are going well at the college. Well, and USA is a national program where students have the opportunity to to do presentations on everything from entrepreneurship to welding to cosmetology to to what? Everything, anything. As I say, as you just said, from accounting to welding and so, everything in between. Of course, entrepreneurship has been a, a great uh, competition for us, and we've done well with that as well as many other ones. So, but our students continue to do well, and it's exciting. And, and you'll get to go to a national competition in yes. Atlanta in Atlanta this yes, year. Yes, we had 14 state champions, so we will be taking probably over 20 students to Atlanta in the end of June. Okay. Well, I, I know some really nice clubs in Atlanta that uh, you guys might want to hit. I don't think we're able to do that with our SkillsUSA mm. students. All right. Well, you're lost. But you can tell me about what they are Okay. Later. All right. Well, Gary, we, uh, we're, let's, let's welcome our guest, uh, John Yavari, who's uh, Director of Commercialization with the North Carolina Small Business and Technology Development Center. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. Glad to be here. We're glad you're with us. Well, we, we appreciate uh, you joining us today. Uh, before we get started with uh, product commercialization, tell us a little bit about the Small Business and Technology Development Center and, and what your role there is with uh, technology commercialization. Absolutely. So the Small Business and Technology Development Center, for short, is the SBTDC. Uh, we're actually part of a nationwide network of small business development centers. Uh, so there are uh, about 60 small business development centers all across the country. Some states have multiple. Um, we are uh, funded in part by the Small Business Administration and uh, funded in part as a match through the University of North Carolina system. So state dollars and federal dollars coming in together as a match. Um, our organization is approximately 70 individuals. We're located uh, across the state. We have uh, offices co-located on each of the UNC system campuses. Uh, my physical office is based at, at UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, we are an economic development uh, advisory service. Uh, so very different than uh, what you would consider as a consultant. We're not consultants, we're advisors. And we advise uh, early stage small businesses, medium-sized businesses, as they work through all of the challenges that they're focused on uh, or should be focused on as they grow. Uh, the core of what our services revolve around is what we consider general business counseling. And, and uh, the, the general business counselors are uh, business type agnostic, industry agnostic. They work with uh, Main Street businesses, manufacturers, service providers, et cetera. Um, working with them on financials, working with them on marketing, business plan development, et cetera. Uh, 
In addition to our general business counseling services, we also have three special resource areas. Uh, the first is uh, our international business development team. They work primarily with uh, later stage companies, companies that are, they've been in business, they've got product on the market, and now they're looking to export products, looking to go globally. Uh, the second special program is our government procurement team they work with again companies that are a little bit later stage product on the market revenue generating and are uh, looking to uh, utilize the government as a uh, as a customer uh, going through that process especially the first time is uh, as you imagine quite a challenge uh, so they work with companies to identify government procurement opportunities and then work with them through that process of, of going on to be successful contractors and then finally, our third special group is uh, my team, our technology commercialization uh, program. And we tend to work with earlier stage companies, companies that are um, innovation driven, companies that are developing intellectual property. And it, when companies come to come into our program, they're generally at the stage of uh, research and development researching and developing that innovative product uh, that they hope to bring to market. And oftentimes our services revolve around two, two major things. Number one is identification and successful uh, funding uh, acquisition and uh, moving on from there, uh, helping them to really rally around uh, the commercialization aspect. And of course, we're going to talk in, in much more detail about the commercialization topic today. Um, so I've been with the SBTDC since 2001. Uh, I've been primarily uh, working in, in, uh, with innovation-driven companies throughout my entire career here. Um, I've had a lot of, of experience uh, working with all sorts of different uh, uh, companies in, in a wide, wide range of industries. Um, so a lot, a lot of uh, kind of wisdom I've, I've gained over the years. Well, and and uh, you also do have something in common with with my friend Gary in that you're both, uh, I believe, have MBA degrees from the, the from Wake Forest University. Oh, great, great! God yes. bless you. Graduated graduated <laughs> from Wake Forest in uh, in 2001, and and uh, oh, wow. right after that, joined the SPTDC. Well, I went to undergraduate and graduate school at Wake Forest, so I bleed black and gold. Yeah, much much earlier dates than you though yes i was going to say i'm not going to uh, you know somewhere in the 1930s yeah yeah so <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure technology was much different uh back then we didn't have technology yeah. so so john when you talk about technology commercialization and, and ip i mean do you do you work with people that have physical products your your, your widgets or, or is it primarily software or other technology or a little bit of all the above yeah, it's it's absolutely all of the above. Um, on on one hand, technology is is a good word, but on the other hand, uh, innovation type companies are are is the better descriptor of of the type of, of company that we work with. Uh, and and innovation from from my standpoint means uh, companies that are developing uh, a new novel. Uh, product or service that's going to fulfill an unmet need, okay, that has a significant market potential. And as you can imagine, uh, the industries that that falls into is extremely broad from software, hardware, materials, uh, biotech, medical, pharma, all across the board. So we are indeed uh, technology area agnostic when okay. it comes to companies that we work with. And now, now you you said that the you, there there are two primary aspects that that uh, you focus on funding and commercialization, and we can talk a little bit about both of those. Out of curiosity, do you look at it? You know, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Do you focus first on commercialization and and I'll say slash viability, or or do you worry about funding, or you know how, how do you how do you approach these things? That's that's an excellent question. You, you, you can't um, successfully attract funders without having at least a baseline understanding of 
the ability to commercialize what you hope to develop. So there, there does need to be some foundational uh, understanding of, of what is the market need uh, and, and really what is the ultimate viability of what we're developing. That would, I, I would say, is, is step number one to understand. If that passes muster, uh, you can then move on to looking at funding opportunities because every funding opportunity, no matter if it's going to be government uh, grant or contract funding, equity funding, debt funding, they're all going to want to see that there is some some commercial viability of that. Okay. And, you know, I'll, I'll also add that, you know, quite frankly, that most early stage research and development companies kind of skip that step. They, they go directly into uh, looking at funding mechanisms without having a, at least a, a, a data-driven um, uh, understanding of what the market uh, and, and, and product possibilities might be. So that's where we can come into play and, and help them kind of step back a little bit and really understand where to start the process. So something that 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 uh, I know you and I have spoken about is developing a commercialization plan. So talk talk a little bit about what a commercialization plan is, and uh, why does someone launching a, a new product or a new service uh, need it? Excellent. So we we look at a commercialization plan as. Um, kind of a pseudo business plan, uh, a business plan that has a very specific focus on a particular product or service that's being launched. And in essence, the commercialization plan is a roadmap that will be followed post research and development. Okay. And this is a, a plan that is going to help, uh, both the entrepreneur and potential funders understand the business opportunities, understand the funding requirements in commercialization, in the commercialization phase, uh, and, and what's going to be the plan of action for launch. Okay? And oftentimes there are a lot of assumptions <clears throat> that need to be made and incorporated into a commercialization plan. Uh, backing those assumptions up with, data to support those assumptions is really key. But at the end of the day, they're still assumptions. At the end of the day, it's somewhat still a fi fictitious document <laughs> uh, that, that's being drafted. But it is, uh, it's the best you can do. And it, it really helps the entrepreneur to focus their efforts on uh, what, what are we going to do if this product or service comes to fruition? Um, so really, it's it's I'm a huge advocate of of starting with the end in mind, and help to promote that to the the companies that we work with, and and of course that end goal is is the successful launch and revenue generation uh, of the product that they've launched, um, and and starting that that commercialization planning process and understanding all of the components is really key. So assumptions. Uh, but backing them up with as many assumptions as possible. And and I know that when when Gary and I talk to people about business plans, one of the things that we try to focus on is you know, who is your audience. You know, are, are you writing this for you? Is it is it your roadmap? Or are you writing this to potential uh, funders, lenders, you know, whomever? Is there a specific audience for the commercialization plan or or? Uh, might it be tweaked depending on who that audience um, is? Absolutely. I think it's it's a, a twofold answer. Um, first and foremost, any business plan or any commercialization plan, the first audience should be the entrepreneur. The process of, of developing a plan of action and gathering data to support your assumptions really helps the entrepreneur to understand what is the opportunity. And if there is not an apparent opportunity, that should really help make them 
think about pivoting or just moving in a completely different direction. I think that's really important. We're working with some young entrepreneurs right now at the end of the semester and going through and doing their business plan. We talk about it all the time. It's okay if you go through all the assumptions and all the analysis work and find out that, hey, this may not be a viable opportunity. It's better to find it out during the development of the business plan than going out there and uh, learning the hard way that it wasn't the right way to go. Yes. yes. And that's where you guys come in, as well as Jeff and myself, is uh, looking at it and saying, hey, this may not be for you. Because even though it may be painful, it won't be less painful than if they go forward with something that's yeah, not good. A, a, a huge investment of, of, you know, time, funding, et cetera, um, could, could go to waste uh, without this, this prior planning. Um, so, of course, the secondary audience to a commercialization plan is funders. Uh, so a lot of the companies that we work with, again, are in R&D mode, and a lot of them are poised to go after uh, SBIR funding, Small Business Innovation Research, which is a, a major federal funding mechanism for innovation-based small businesses. Those agencies that, that provide funding uh, require a commercialization plan to be submitted with their research and development proposal in the phase two of the SBIR process. And without a, a clear, concise uh, commercialization roadmap, an SBIR proposal uh, could have, you know, the absolute best product uh, in mind. It could have uh, great research and development potential, but without demonstrating to the reviewers of, of these SBIR proposals that there's going to be a plan of action to get this product to market, they won't fund it. So uh, same goes with with equity funders. They're going to be looking at um, you know a, a pitch presentation, which in essence is uh, containing elements of your commercialization plan. Uh, they're going to be wanting to see that there is a strong revenue generation profit motive. So I, I think to answer your question, it's it's uh, a, a, a document, a plan that's beneficial to to both the entrepreneur and the funders. And, and you know, you, you talked about that. You, you just mentioned elements that you think funders might be looking for, looking for, uh, or, or I guess potentially the the government if it's uh, if you're going through the SBIR process. Um, do you uh, um, are there are there certain key elements that uh, should be included in that uh, commercialization plan? I, you know, you, you mentioned assumptions and. I, I sort of assume at some point we're getting to the financial piece of this where where someone's going to have to make some projections of what sort of revenue we could be be generating. So what what sort of elements uh, do you do you tell people they need to be including in that commercialization plan? Yeah, there there are uh, about a half dozen elements that that are very important in a commercialization plan. and and the first is, uh, describing what is the unmet need in the marketplace. What are the pain points that this potential product or service is going to, to fulfill in the marketplace and, and really having an understanding of uh, what, what are the user's needs. Um, next is competitive landscape. Uh, really understanding who, what products, what companies uh, is our innovation going to be up against? Uh, so it, it really ties in with the unmet need in that uh, understanding what the, 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 the competitors' uh, value propositions are uh, and, and what are the weaknesses in, in their solutions uh, to the unmet need really helps to guide what are the, the, the pinpoint benefits that we need to bring in, in our new innovation? Uh, so unmet need, pain point, and then competitive analysis and landscape analysis are real key. Uh, say the third is, is uh, looking at the intellectual property landscape. Is there, is, are there uh, intellectual property uh, protections in place for similar products or services that that uh, exist right now. 
intellectual property is going to be very, very key to any funder. Uh, they want to see that what is being developed uh, is protectable and that it can't simply be copied and, and uh, you know, prepared and, and sold by, by others. So having a clear understanding of, of what patents, trademarks, et cetera, uh, are in place right now and how our technology or innovation can fit into that landscape is, is very key. Uh, promotion, promotion of, of the product. What is going to be our plan of action to uh, get this product in front of potential customers, potential buyers? Uh, what are we going to be uh, building a promotional team in-house? Are we going to be outsourcing that? Uh, etc. Uh, production. If you're if you're in the um, uh, say you're developing a device or a widget, uh, whatever it might be. If it's a physical product, of course you've got production uh, needs. Who is going to be doing that? Are you going to be outsourcing it? Are you going to be doing it in house? Uh, are you going to be subcontracting? What is the plan of action there? Uh, and then I think most importantly is the financial aspect over the next three to five years. How, what do we project our expenses to be? What do we expect our revenue uh, potential to be? And I think most importantly is if there are, uh, if you're running at a loss, how are we going to fill that, that gap? What funding mechanisms are going to come in next, right? Um, to is it going to be additional grant funding, contract funding? Is it going to be equity? Is it going to be debt? Uh, looking at what what are our funding needs going forward, and, and how are we going to fill in the gaps until we become uh, you know rev, uh, uh, profitable? And uh, team team I think is is you know for for many many reasons, not just for the commercialization plan process, but team is really going to make or break uh, the ability of a of an innovation to be funded and to be successful. Of course, the best case scenario is a team that has been there and done that before, right? Serial entrepreneurs. Um, but everybody needs to start at the beginning at some point in their career. So, a little bit more difficult for an unseasoned entrepreneur or unseasoned innovator to um, uh, to demonstrate their success, uh, prior successes. So in those cases, kind of wrapping advisors, wrapping a um, um, you know board of directors around you if you are early in the process can go a long way. Uh, so a lot of different components in, in the commercialization plan, but but they all revolve around market need, who's going to make this happen, and what is the funding that we're going to need to make it happen. Well, yeah, you know, taking a taking a step back a little bit and talking about market need and, you know, something that we've, we've discussed on our podcast uh, before, the whole customer discovery process of, of really trying to uh, you know, validate the business idea. You know, I, I know that that's a, an area that that you you put some focus on as you're as you're working with people. Um, you know, how does customer discovery fit into the plan, and and what sort of mistakes do you see people make as they go through that process? So, customer discovery is is something that should start very very early in the process, even prior to um, development or research. All businesses need to think of, of their customer as, as really being the king, right? It's, it's kind of a, you know, just a saying that we toss around customer is king, but in fact, that, that really is true. Uh, and, and the customer is king when condu conducting customer discovery. So customer discovery is really all about learning what your potential customers' needs and pain points are, how they're currently solving the problem at hand, what's their willingness to use a better solution if one existed, and what's their willingness or ability to pay for added benefits if those were to be available to them, okay? 
So starting that customer discovery process early uh, is is very important because it is a time consuming process. Uh, it's a it's a time consuming process because you need to identify who those potential customers are, who those users are, who those decision makers are, and uh, you need to define key questions that you need to ask them. You need to reach out. You need to expect that most of them are not going to respond to your initial request. Uh, and you need to be perseverant, right? You need to, to really uh, continue down that path and try to get as much data as you possibly can. And in the process of, of asking those questions of customers, uh, the key is not to ask leading questions. The key is to ask probing questions, prompting questions, and put your, your listening ears on and gather as much data from them as possible. So don't ask leading questions, ask global questions and, and learn from them. Um, and from one interview to the next, uh, maintaining continuity uh, between those questions so that when it comes time to analyze the results, uh, you're going to be analyzing similar results from similar questions that you have. Um, and as you start this customer discovery process, you may find that the questions or the probing questions that you're asking aren't really leading to the data that's most valuable to, to your commercialization plan. So you may have to change up. You may have to pivot a little bit and really assess uh, how can I ask these questions better to get to the data that I need. A lot of a lot of um, products and services uh, have a variety of different pools of of. Uh, people that should be asked questions of. So think about a, uh, an educational tool, right? Um, the user or beneficiary might be the child, right? The decision maker about using this, this tool might be an educator, a teacher, and the actual buyer, the check writer for this tool might be a school system. Right. So all of these these three different entities are going to have different kind of pain points, different value propositions that that they need um, to, to make a purchasing decision. So kind of chunking these these different buyer users and beneficiaries out and and probing different questions to each of these different groups can be a strategy as well. This doesn't sound like I can knock it out in an hour, John. <laughs> no, this this is this is clearly a, a six month process. Wow. Okay. It and, really is. And, and when you say interviews, I mean, are you are you do you suggest uh, personal face to face interviews uh, online or or depends? Yeah, yeah, it really depends. Um, you know, clearly face-to-face -face is, is going to be difficult, especially for, you know, product offerings that have a, a nationwide or even perhaps a global uh, audience. Uh, but, you know, start small. Start, um, start you know, in your, in, your, in your geographic region so that perhaps you can have face-to-face -face meetings. Learn from those initial meetings and then move on to, um, you know, virtual meetings, phone calls, uh, et cetera. Uh, sir, you know, if, if, if you have a massive, massive audience, say, of, uh, you know, a thousand potential customers that you may want to reach out to, certainly using a, a survey mechanism could be beneficial to you. Um, but I think having that that one on one interaction, whether it be phone, in person, virtual, uh, is going to lead to a lot more. Uh, a lot more information sharing from that that uh, interviewee. Yeah, you 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 gave the example of uh, an educational tool. You know, often uh, I call Gary an affectionate way an educational tool. So you know, I can relate to that. Um, well, thank you. And, and let me let me jump in. And, and the final thing I'll add is that this is not a sales call. 
These are not sales that you're trying to achieve um, because you don't have a finished product yet, or you shouldn't have a finished product at the time you're starting this process. This is a data gathering call to help you understand what the needs of the customer are so that as you're going back to the drawing board, back to the lab, back to the, the facility where you're developing this product, you can create that product that's going to fulfill exactly what the needs of the customer are. Now, early on, you mentioned the importance of protecting intellectual property, um, which you know, I, I think my mind quickly goes to uh, securing a patent and, and, and dollar signs flash in my head. So, you know, talk to us a little bit about how you advise your clients on on intellectual property and 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 how you how you take them through that process there. So a, a great publication that the SBTDC offers is our intellectual property guide, and that's available on the SBTDC.org website under our publications tab. How much is that? How much, is, how much you, does that cost? That is absolutely free. Oh, that's even better. Okay, good. Um, there are absolutely uh, actually uh, a, a good number of publications, kind of guidance documents available on that same link that that are available for download as well. But as it relates to, to intellectual property, uh, this this is something that that most definitely needs to be considered uh, because at the end of the day, protecting what you have developed. Uh, is is going to be kind of the intrinsic value of of what you what you're offering, right? So there are multiple mechanisms of protection. There's patents, trademarks, copyrights, trade secrets, and the mechanism that is is selected uh, is is really depend depends on many factors. Uh, we always suggest that reaching out to an intellectual property focused attorney is a good idea. Okay. Um, intellectual property attorneys are not all equal. There are some firms uh, here in North Carolina that are more entrepreneurially focused. Uh, and, and those are the ones that, that we tend to suggest that early stage companies reach out to. Um, and, and the reason for that is because those entrepreneurially focused intellectual property attorneys or firms uh, really understand what um, the needs and, and the position that early stage companies are in. They don't have a lot of funding to, to put toward uh, protection. Uh, they don't have a lot of, of funding to, um, you know, have strategic discussions. So um, we, we do recommend um, several at attorney firms in this space across the state. You have to remember that uh, whatever the mechanism of protection that you employ is simply giving you or your business the right to pursue infringement. Okay, it's not absolutely protecting you from nobody else stepping into your into your uh, into your world and, and copying that. All it does is it provides you the opportunity to um, to go after them, and that can be very costly, right? Uh, so it's costly, but in in many cases, very very important. Uh, it's especially important when it comes to fundraising. Fundraisers are going to want to see that you've employed a strategy of some sort to protect what you're developing. Because if somebody does come in and copies your idea and, and really runs with it, well, there goes the entire value of, of this product offering that, that you've made. Um, as you can imagine, um, intellectual property protections vary vastly in terms of, of time and cost, depending on what what is being developed. Um, you know, trademarks, clearly uh, an easier mechanism, you know, less costly. Uh, going into patents, you may, a lot of companies have what they consider platform technologies. Uh, and, and there need to be multiple patents to protect the entire platform. And that can be a very costly initiative. 
Um, so we're not attorneys here, uh, but we we know enough to suggest that a company probably does need to have some protection depending on what they're working on. And we make referrals consistently to, to many attorneys. I just want to go into a, to a, a little bit of a different topic. You, you, you talked about funding and you mentioned the small business innovation research grants. You know, we, you know, we, we always run into folks who are saying, where's, where's the grant? Where's the free money? You know, um, but you know, SBIRs are, are, are fairly specific, uh, and I guess there's a limited audience there. I mean, tell us a little bit about the SBIR program and when it's appropriate for someone to be looking in that direction. Sure. Well, we, we look at, uh, funding as, as being what we call a funding food chain, and different funding mechanisms uh, can be a fit depending on the stage of the company and uh, also the stage of, of the technology. At, at the, we'll call it the, the pre-venture stage, um, companies uh, that, that aren't even quite frankly a, a legal business entity yet. Uh, of course, they have very limited funding opportunities. Oftentimes, it's it's friends friends and family and fools, uh, and it's it's um, it's bootstrapping, putting your own money in. Um, and from my perspective, using that funding uh, to conduct that customer discovery work uh, and maybe doing some very early stage preliminary development work on on your product can come into play. Once that company is is in business, they they're an LLC, a corporation. At that point, um, they've got some preliminary data. They've done some customer discovery work. We consider that a uh, uh, an early stage business. At that point, that's where SBIR and STTR funding can come into play. And SBIR and STTR is a, a four plus billion dollar funding mechanism that's that's uh, available from. 11 federal agencies. And those federal agencies have uh, what they call solicitations that they publish um, uh, sometimes multiple times a year. And these solicitations uh, or requests for proposals uh, are needs that the agencies have an interest in funding. These needs uh, can be either internal needs to the government. So for example, Department of Defense has a lot of internal field-based needs that they have. So they publish solicitations that are uh, fitting of developing solutions to problems that they have out in the field. Other agencies like the National Institutes of Health and National Science Foundation, they don't necessarily have internal needs that they're interested in funding, but they have mission-driven in interests that they, they fund. So no matter if it's a, a uh, internal or an external uh, need that's being developed, the agencies have an interest in it. And uh, the, the first stage that a company generally enters into is, is called what's uh, known as a phase one SBIR and STTR. In phase one provides between $200,000, $300,000 in six to 12 months of time to carry out a feasibility study or a proof of concept study. And that, that really helps to, to nail down, is this product something that actually works? Does it, does it provide a solution? If phase one results pan out, you're eligible to move on to a phase two. And the phase two requires a, uh, a, a robust research plan in addition to the commercialization plan. Uh, and that that phase can provide uh, 750,000, sometimes upwards of, of two to three million dollars and two years of time to best case scenario, get that technology or innovation to a point where it's commercial ready. Now, uh, that's best case scenario, certainly for very uh, capital intensive projects like pharmaceuticals or medical devices. Um, 
SBIR is only going to fund uh, a portion of the work, even by the end of phase two. And that's where follow on equity funding often comes into play is post phase two. Um, so once once a technology is is de-risked enough or its technical readiness level is is higher, uh, that opens the door to these these um, a, a broader array of potential funders. So angel funding, um, equity funding, uh, and, and perhaps even debt or partnership funding from, from larger corporations can come into play. Um, so a lot of different funding mechanisms, they all have their, their place in, in the development phase and in business and revenue generation phase of the business. Um, and, and that's where we can come into play and, and work with a company to say, okay, you're at phase X, you know, this is probably the, the funding mechanism that you should, you should look at right now, but also let's be thinking two to three years down the road to say, what do we need to, uh, achieve to be able to open the doors for follow on funding mechanisms? So it's, it's a funding food chain. Okay. Well, you've, you've done a really good job of sort of laying out the the process from the, the commercialization plan and, and viability and customer discovery and funding and intellectual property. We really we really appreciate you you being with us today. You got uh, we're you, you okay if we go go through our lightning round with you? Let's go for it. All right. Well, these are these are quick questions, quick answers. Don't overthink it. Today's lightning round is sponsored by Globo Gym. Do you need to lose some weight? Get in shape, Gary? Yes. Well, go to someone else's gym. Global Gym <laughs> is not the place for you, but uh, you should check it out on the internet. But anyway, all right, John, we've got some quick questions for you. We're going to start with, what is your biggest pet peeve? My biggest pet peeve is when people don't respond in a timely fashion. Fair. What toppings or topping do you put on your pizza? Mushrooms, black olives, all day. Where do you fall out on pineapple? Love it. On your pizza? No, on ice cream. Okay, fair. On fair. ice cream. Good That's answer. Good. Beatles or Rolling Stones or Taylor Swift? Uh, neither. I'm actually a, uh, a, a Rush guy. Okay. Um, yeah. Rush. Uh, so Beatles, a um, little, little too early for me. I'm a young guy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. That sets us apart in our schooling. Well, I like, I like the to think they transcend time, but <laughs> That's all right. right. Uh, daylight savings time or standard time? Daylight savings all day. I have no idea why they keep going back and forth. <laughs> Hate it. Do you have a favorite go-to adult <clears throat> beverage? And what is it? Rolling Rock okay. beer. From, from Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Yes, and and to my um, to my surprise, it is getting very very difficult to find in any grocery stores. All right, well, go keep up the good fight. When, when I find it, I load up. Okay. <laughs> Last question for you: If you could have one superpower, what would it be? To change past uh, behaviors. Yours or other people's? Other, mine. Oh, mine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If I could, if I could yes, go back and, and fix a few mistakes, uh, that would have made my life uh, a lot more pleasurable. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I think that's uh, that's a different podcast. But anyway, we 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 appreciate you being here, John. If people want to find you or the SBTDC, where should they be looking? SBTDC.org is our website and my email address is sbir at sbtdc.org easy yes. one easy easier than my last name all right sbir at sbtdc.org so we really appreciate you joining us today uh at the end gary and i like to share uh, some small businesses that we've run into john anything that uh, you'd like to give a a shout out to sure you know it's it's the work that we do is um, takes a long time to see 
terrific business results. And one company who I will uh, not name the name of uh, was a spin out out of Duke University in, um, wow, going back to 2004. And they are continuing today to develop artificial blood vessels, mm. right? Which is, is very important in the market. Currently, blood vessels or arteries still need to be harvested from the body. So oftentimes from the lower leg and then placed into mm -hmm. the, into the heart region to, to replace blocked arteries. Um, so this company again, started back in 2004 as a spin out out of, of the university and, you know, almost 20 years later, um, they've raised lots and lots of, of both SBIR equity funding. They've done an IPO. They're on the market now. Uh, but they're still in R&D mode, still doing, still doing trials. Um, but I'm, I'm very hopeful. So this is, this is one example of, you know, how uh, a perseverant team uh, really made things happen from a funding and an R&D standpoint. And, and they're really close to commercialization. So yeah. It's terrific to see, you know, these these long term projects continuing to run and hopefully going to be making huge impacts in, in the lives of people. They, they, they still associated with Duke and that as a as a basketball fan, I'm only used to people saying at Duke for one year. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. I'm, I'm sure there's still some intellectual property. That's that's uh, some ownership at Duke. But um yeah, great, great team and great story there. Okay, that sounds good. Well, not many one and dones in this. Yeah, project. yeah, one and done is. I don't think that uh, John doesn't have a lot of one and dones. It sounds like uh, they're they're going to be working for a while to get yeah. uh, up and running. But that's right, Gary. What's uh, your small business this month? Well, you mentioned Global Gym. Of course, my small business ties into what businesses I always like to talk about on our show, and that's whether it's the dog business or food business, and this month's in line with the dog business. Power Pup Mobile Gym out of Sheryls Ford, North Carolina, actually, in the Lake Norman area. Uh, the Power Pup Gym is the first and only mobile dog gym serving the Lake Norman area, and uh, they bring specially designed treadmills. This is really cool. you got to look it up right. on the Internet, the video. Uh, and the climate-controlled vans. And I saw the van. That's what gave me the idea. They'll bring it to your home, the business. The staff works with different motivational tools to get the dogs to work out like they never have done it before, along with private opponents. You can also do pup-up events and, that are scheduled around the area, and you can take your dog to the gym in the van and try it out. By the way, the Slate Mill is a non-motorized treadmill designed especially for dogs. I don't know about cats. I don't think I'd see that. I think this is a dog tool. Okay. But really interesting. Of course, there are great reasons for the owner to do it. Mobility issues, time constraints, safety concerns, different things like that. You wouldn't have to buy your own treadmill. You can just rent it out. And, of course, it's good for dogs because they have a controlled environment. They don't have to worry about hot pavement. They don't have to worry about muddy uh, areas and I thought it was pretty cool and I loved the the pop-up runs where they have uh, I guess groups of dogs go together and they play together and then they train together gangs of dogs gangs of dogs all right well that's that's very cool. I saw mostly medium to small I didn't see big great Danes okay. and St. Bernard's doing this well that sounds pretty unique that's pretty yeah. cool all right uh, I wanted to give a shout out to a company called R Riveter. I was I was actually at a program this week uh, that that had a military bent, military business type stuff, and and uh, the keynote speaker was a woman named Cameron Cruz who founded this business with her partner Lisa Bradley in 2011. They're both military spouses who, I guess, uh, faced the frustration of uh, as they moved often it was difficult for them to to find employment and and um, military families on average move every 2.9 years so it's it's just not a lot of continuity there so they uh, 
They bought a commercial sewing machine. They started making bags, and they started enlisting other military spouses to make parts of their pieces of the bags, when the handles and latches that were all assembled and, and sold. They're selling them on the Internet under R Riveter. In 2016, they went on Shark Tank and secured $100,000 uh, in the partnership of Mark Cuban. So uh, uh, just a, a really cool business. They focus on providing flexible mobile opportunities for military spouses. There are premium bags, uh, but they're made from uh, folks that are giving to our country, and, and uh, you should check it out at uh, rriveter.com to learn more about the R Riveter, the R Riveter company. It's a pretty cool, cool store. Yeah. So anyway. If you have a suggestion for our Entrepreneur Exchange Small Business of the Month, you can email them to us at eexchange at themesh.tv. We appreciate uh, your suggestions. We want to thank uh, John Yuvari for joining us. John, thank you so much. We appreciate you being on the Entrepreneur Exchange. It was a pleasure. And as John mentioned, you can go to sbtdc.org to learn more about uh, the Small Business and Technology Development Center here in North Carolina, and you can find John and his uh, commercialization group out there as well. We want to thank uh, the Mesh Podcast Network for uh, their support. Uh, go to themesh.tv to see all of the cool podcasts going on at the Mesh, and uh, we will look forward to talking with you again next month. Take care. Take care, guys. been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.